Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the All American Sports Podcast. My name is Chris Carr, and today I am joined by Tyler Webb. I'll link all his socials below, but you guys have probably seen his face all over TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. This guy does it all, and I know I say that about a lot, but he has his own sports marketing agency. He's attracted a huge following on TikTok. Uh, he's worked you know, with social media managers and sports marketing reps all across the country. Uh, without further ado, Tyler, anything you want to say here before we get going? No, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, so Tyler, speak a little bit. I think it's great how you uh, have started your own sports marketing agency. I like the name. Uh, it's Uncle Charlie Marketing, and that's the name, obviously. You can tell the viewers uh, for a good curveball. Uh, I know my baseball guys, my baseball nerds will know that, but speak a little bit you know, more to that, and what was your inspiration to kind of you know, found this agency, and what has your experience been like at least this point? Because I know it's still a new thing. Yeah, well, I'm glad you picked up on the name, meaning there's uh, not a lot of people who get the, the true meaning of it. So that's, yeah. that's bonus points to you, Chris, for, uh, for understanding the reference. But no, I, so I, I graduated from the University of Minnesota in December of 2020, uh, which was right in the middle of the pandemic, aka a really bad time to get a job. Uh, and so I was sort of struggling throughout that summer uh, before my senior year and then into December of 2020, uh, understanding what it is I wanted to do or even could do just because the job market was so tanked and not a lot of people were hiring. And so uh, throughout the summer of 2020, this is sort of my you know summer before senior year. That was the time that I understood where, you know, you should be getting an internship that would lead you eventually to a full-time position after you graduated. Uh, I was just freelancing uh, and I'd done that all throughout college. Um, I decided to sort of ramp it up that summer uh, of 2020 and see if I could cut it full-time. And, you know, for me, that meant get, doing enough work and making enough money to sort of supplant what would be a, a full-time internship or, or later a full-time job. And so uh, I was able to do that pretty successfully throughout the summer, um, working with some clients that I'd already had and then adding on a few more. And uh, when it came to graduate in, in uh, the, the winter of that year, I sort of looked and thought, okay, I might as well strike while the iron's hot uh, and continue to work with all these clients because it's probably no better time in my life or there's going to be no time where I have uh, more going for me to, to freelance full-time than I do right now. So I made that decision, and I did that all the way through 2021, uh, freelanced on my own, uh, under my own company, and I really enjoyed it, but I wasn't quite working in the area I wanted to. I was really drawn towards sports, you know, played it growing up, but just was really drawn towards um, the impact that sports could have. Could have. Um, I, I understood a lot of the work I did digitally didn't always translate to some tangible impact on people as working with a lot of real estate agents and home builders and just like a whole smattering of people. And yeah. my, my, it wasn't concentrated. And, and that to me kind of like made it a lot more draining than it should have been. And I was still drawn again towards like wanting to work in, in sports. And so uh, in 2021, I, I ended up meeting who is now my co-founder, uh, Jake Kranz. Uh, we started working on a client together. They were a, they are a professional baseball league. Uh, located in the Midwest, an independent league. He was looking for help for, on social media. I said yes because it was a baseball league, and that was like the coolest thing I could be doing at the time. Uh, and we started working together, and all of a sudden we looked up at the end of 2021. We were doing a ton of work together, and all of the work was in sports with a hockey league, um, later to in, with a rugby league, with a sports tech startup here in Minneapolis, and all that happened really organically, and we were doing so much work together. 
uh, at the end of the year, we said, you know, we should probably formalize this relationship instead of just working with each other as freelancers. And so that's what we did at the beginning of 2022. Uh, we started Uncle Charlie. And so this is our second full year uh, doing Uncle, Uncle Charlie together. And we do the social media marketing and content for professional sports leagues across the country. And we've been fortunate to build up a, a really solid client base where we get to work in a bunch of different sports. So there's still a, a novelty of working in, in different areas and different regions in different sports at different levels, but uh, it's all focused in an industry that I'm obviously really passionate about. Yeah. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. I mean, a year now. And that that's awesome. I mean, I love how you said a really a diverse, you know, field of work because then it keeps it new. It keeps you engaged. And that, that sounds awesome. I, I like that. A true entrepreneur. And and talk about, I found it interesting, you know, as someone in high school and a lot, I know a lot of my uh, audiences, you know, from high school, uh, explain your experience kind of running that I live for football Instagram page in high school, because I, I know that's something I had seen before and I was very interested in it. I, I never knew like who ran it. That, that sounds awesome. You, so you, do you actually remember I live for football or I remember I wasn't like a huge follower, but I do remember seeing it. Yeah. I, it was on Twitter a lot. I know. Yep. Yeah. So that's where the main following was. And that's funny that you mentioned that there's, there's a lot of pages like that. That's sort of in the. I'll, I'll start using this terminology through our conversation, but it's in this brand of like theme pages, I would call it. So yeah. it's uh, like they're content curation pages. They're not really creating their original, their own original content, but they're sourcing it from other parts of the internet sure. and consolidating yeah. it all into one place. So I had a, uh, a guy, I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin initially, hence the Packer poster behind me. And yeah. he, at the age of 14, um, started this page called I Live for Football, which is a funny name looking back at it because you're like obviously a, a 14 year old came up with that name. Like it's a little bit cheesy, but it yeah. worked. And he had grown the account to 10,000 followers by his freshman year of, of high school. And I remember seeing the page much like you, but then realizing, Oh crap, this is run by somebody who's in my city. And I'm yeah. like, I got to get connected with this guy. Like it was just so cool. Uh, how many people he was reaching on social, uh, how he was doing it. I just wanted to be involved. I had no prerequisite skill. I probably didn't have any business helping him, but I knew I wanted to. So I reached out and, uh, we met, and of course, he said I could help. I wasn't getting paid anything. And so yeah. um, through high school, I worked with a couple other people, and uh, we grew this page to 150,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, wow. It was wow. my first foray into you know, understanding things like audience building, um, working with brands, working on a team, a creative team specifically, um, creating content. Uh, like I, I started to learn all these, all these different things, and um, it just – my career as I see it today. Uh, but it also just bit me with this bug of like wanting to learn how these platforms work from a you know, really technical perspective, like learning the, the tips and the tricks that you know, people are always asking you for in terms of how to grow an audience. And um, I was fortunate to uh, get attracted to that early. And that's kind of, you know, catapulted me to, to where I am today. And it's funny, I can draw a pretty straight line um, between, or at least I can connect the dots between that, you know, running that account to where I am now, because you know, that account led other small business owners in Green Bay to, you know, see that we were just a couple of kids and they're like, Hey, you know, would you mind helping my business with social media? It seems like, you know what you're doing. And of course, in the moment, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but you, know, <laughs> like, you, you say yes, right? You yeah. say yes because they're willing to pay you, which is the first time yeah. that ever happened. And you start working with small businesses and then they connect you to a bunch of people. And you know, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, Oh crap, like I'm, I'm doing this thing for real. And that's, you know, led me to freelance after college and that led me to start Uncle Charlie. So it's really cool to look back at and say that was really the jumping off point for where I am today. 
Yeah, wow, that's all. Aw- I never knew. I mean, so much opportunities kind of branched off there. That's that's awesome. That's like really good gateway. And I know for a lot of the audience who wants to do what you do um, in a job like that, that's that's some good notes uh, to take. And I love how you said it really made you learn because I, I know you've talked about how much you've learned about, you know, content creation, graphic design, videography, all that, and really a self-taught person. Kind of talk about how you developed an understanding in these fields and the value that it gives someone who wants to do what you do and grow bigger, obviously, in the sports marketing field. Yeah, so that's a really good question. So to go back to that conversation of or the, the, the progression from starting out for football to where I am now. So I would get asked by a guy who runs a clothing company in Green Bay to run his social. And yeah. I say yes because I want to do it. I want to get paid for it. Seems like a cool opportunity. But, you know, I have no idea how to develop a brand strategy for a real business right like i live for football was not really a real business right like you know we worked with some sponsors we put out some content but at the end of the day we were kids running a twitter account there was not a whole lot of thought put into it beyond beyond that um as much as we probably thought we were doing very serious things so when somebody was finally willing to pay me for running their brand account i was like oh like i i gotta get serious about yeah that's a that's a jump scare (laughs) yeah right you gotta like okay you, you say yes and then you kind of back into learning um, how to do things. So I think that's the story of how I kept progressing, you know, as I see like, you know, progression happening, which to me is just learning new things, um, meeting new people, getting more work and then trying to do more for your work. But, uh, the only way I was ever able to do that was say yes to the opportunity. Even if I wasn't hundred percent sure that I was able to, um, like deliver on it, I knew that I had enough tangential skills or enough related skills to do the thing. And then I was just going to learn on the fly and, and figure out how to do it. And, you know, part of that is just like you, you can't really learn it until you do it. So that's that's half of it. But then there yeah. are skills that you actually do have to learn, like hard, you know, tangible skills that you actually do have to learn to do a certain job. So I'll give you a, a really funny example. So I was running this, you know, I live for football page and that kind of led me to running a couple other theme pages on Instagram and on TikTok and stuff like that. I posted very similar like football highlight related content. Yeah. Um, I started working with this brand called Phenom Elite. Uh, which is a football apparel brand. They do really cool gloves and cleats and um, shirts and stuff like that. I'm still really close or good friends with um, their CEO, Nate Gordon, and they're, and they're doing really great things. But he had reached out for me to help him run his Phenom Elite social pages. I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Like, that's yeah. in sports. You know, they're a legitimate brand, and um, they're doing cool things, and they want to pay me to help them. Like, I was, that was like a no-brainer. Uh, and I remember he said, hey, uh, we work with the Arena Football League. This Arena Football player is about to break – uh, an all-time scoring record is going to score his 100th touchdown. Can you make a graph for me? And I had no idea how to use Photoshop. Like, when I say no idea, I mean, like, literally no idea how to use Photoshop. And so yeah. I said yes under the premise that, you know, I was going to figure it out. And I'm not saying that you should lie to people and, you know, lie about your skills and qualifications. And I, and yeah, I, yeah. I did tell them. I'm like, you know, I'm not the best with Photoshop, but I can, I can try, basically. And I was willing to just do it, and I wasn't going to make him pay me or anything. I'm like, if this turns out like crap, you don't have to pay me. Like, you know, I'm just going to try. So yeah. I say yes, I can do it. And I remember looking up a bunch of different graphics that, you know, teams had posted or uh, players had posted. And I was just trying to find one that I really liked. And I'm like, okay, I think I can do something like that. And what I did was I opened a Photoshop file. And, like, literally every step of the way I had to teach myself how to do the thing. Like, I didn't know how to open the Photoshop file. So I had to Google, okay, how to open a Photoshop file, right? Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know how to cut out a person in the, in the image. So I could go, okay, how to cut out a person in the image. And then I wanted this cool, like concrete texture over the top and i didn't know how to do that so i searched okay how to, how to do concrete texture so like every step of the way it was like you know googling how to do it and then figuring it out and the end product you know i was really proud of at the time i probably look back now 
that's not my best work, but yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, I figured it out and I was, and I was able to do that. Um, and one, one thing I find really helpful, this is like a, a skill I hope people can take away is um, to that point, like I would go and find graphics after I said yes and delivered on this graphic, I would go then and find other graphics that I wanted to learn how to recreate. Um, and I would recreate it. And in doing that, I would just learn a bunch of things. So I remember going to ESPN and I'd pick like three or four graphics and I just do this on the weekends and I'd pick four graphics. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to copy that exact graphic. And yeah. I'm like, how do I do this? Well, I got to start by adding text. Okay. How do I do that? Okay. Now I want to add a border to it. Okay. How do I do that? And I would, you know, it was help. It was helpful for me because I didn't have to come up with the idea. That was a very hard part of the process and that was already done. And all I had to do was just learn the, the tangible skills and, and doing that, you know, taught me a ton. And, um, you learn very quickly that like the first four steps of learning something like Photoshop are really, really hard and yeah. you're going to feel like you're taking forever to do it. But once you get to like your, you know, eighth, ninth time doing it, all of a sudden the, the momentum starts to pick up and it's like an exponential curve where all of a sudden you're off to the races and you can do things so much faster than you, than you were able to at the start. Yeah. Wow. I actually, I really like that philosophy. I mean, you really, you kind of go in and just learn by doing. That's awesome. And I, I really like to well put too. And that's a good, you know, it's a valuable lesson that you learn from your experiences. And I know, I mean, it's enabled you to do so much stuff. Like I look at your resume, it's like Facebook ads manager, producer, digital media manager, all that. It's just awesome. And I know on TikTok, you kind of take a little bit of a different approach. Like I like it. It's more of like a business kind of cutting edge side of the sports world. And you mentioned, I know in one of your videos, the the importance of storytelling in sports. Speak a little more to that because I enjoy your videos. I love them. They're stories and you uncover them that I've never even heard of sometimes or maybe know a little bit about. You really go in depth and kind of talk about, you know, the importance of that and then how you come up with these new ideas for videos because your content is always fresh and coming from a different area of the sports world, wherever it may be. Sure. No, I, I appreciate the compliment. So, you know, the way I think about it, and I'll speak specifically to TikTok, and I think a lot of these same lessons apply to other social media platforms. So so very generally, one thing people have to understand is that these social media platforms, whether it be TikTok or Instagram or even now Twitter, are becoming really algorithmically driven. So no yeah. longer are you following somebody and you're getting a chronological scroll of who you're following. These platforms think they know best and they're inserting the content of other people that you might not follow, you know, maybe just based on accounts that you've liked or accounts that you've commented on, they're now inserting content into your, into your feeds. And so increasingly we're not consuming content from people that we've decided to follow. We're consuming content from people. The algorithms think that we should consume content from. Right. Yeah. So as that happens, people are going to have less and less of an idea of, of who you are. So TikTok's the great example of this, right? So everybody is consuming content on a for you page. They're, these are not people that you follow, generally speaking. They're not people that you know who the heck they are, generally speaking. Yeah. And so when you see their content, you're like being thrown off into the deep end and you have no idea what's happening until all of a sudden you learn what's happening. And <laughs> one of the really big ways to get people to keep watching is to set a premise really early on and to basically tell people right at the beginning what the video is going to be about. Because as much as we think we like to be surprised and delighted, that's not really how humans work. We like to know what's going on and we like to have some like predictability and what's going to happen. That's why these like, you know, three camera sitcom shows are so popular. Like when you think about something like, you know, friends, like, you know, in every episode of friends, it's going to be like, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be some sort of rising point and tension point, And there's going to be a solution. And it's like, you know, you're not going to be surprised by some like 
horror episode or by some like you know really serious drama episode like you know the general cadence of a show like that and so you have to try to make your content on these platforms especially tiktok as predictable as possible and that's why trends do so well right like when you hear trending music right away that signals to you oh i know i know what's going to happen i know the setup and i know what the punchline is going to be and now all this person has to do is like fill in the blanks for me essentially but you yeah. you, you can predict what's going to happen and, and that's why you know, trends on TikTok are so popular and you know, that's why they pushed them so early. But now the platform is moving to longer form content. It's moving to more narrative driven content. You have to be able to develop some sort of like face-to-face connection um, with your audience in, in a way that's a little bit more uh, in, in, a, in a deeper, in a deeper sense. So, you know, what I like to do with my videos to come all the way back to your initial question is set the premise really early on. So in my videos, you'll notice I have like kind of a, a clickbaity type hook, you know, yeah. obviously it gets back, yeah. it gets backed up by, what happens later in the in the video but yeah. it's like a hook that intrigues somebody which is a good start and it also sets the expectation of what the video is going to be like um so they they know what they can generally expect what it's going to be about the angle i'm going to take on it and then i get into the media the meat of the video and you know i make sure i'm ruthless with the, how much stuff i cut out like i don't want to get too long or too tangential or go you know down a path that's like completely off topic yeah. i want to stay super narrow and, and say what I'm trying to say in as, as few words as possible. And then that's obviously helped with um, you know, B-roll coming over and text that pops on the screen that keeps you engaged. And there's all these little tricks that kind of like keep you interested in watching. But the backdrop of that is like a story that's actually interesting and actually has some substance to it. Yeah. Wow. I like that. I like how you put it. I never knew that. You know, it's a great insight and really layout for a video. And I know it attracts a great audience. And how do you like... Like, I, I know because your content is always fresh. How do you come up with a different story? I know the one I saw most recently was you were at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. And you explained how it yeah. was your least favorite stadium. And how, <laughs> how like, how, do, how does these ideas just come to mind? Yeah. Well, I, I want to preface. The U.S. Bank Stadium got a lot of people mad, especially I am located in Minneapolis. Yeah. It's like, you know, you want to be careful you show your face. But um, that, w- that was just based on a study. So there's a study that ranked ugliest buildings in the world and U.S. Bank Stadium was the ugliest stadium, yeah. which I, I don't, I don't personally agree with, but that was a great hook for a video to, to get people a little riled up. Obviously. Yeah, it did, um, yeah. But no, you know, to answer your question. So, so the U S bank one is an interesting example. Um, you know, what I'm trying to do in some of my content right now is challenge myself to like get out of my room. Now I'm in an office right now and it's yeah. easy for me to sit down in front of a camera and record, but that can get kind of boring. And so I want to, you know, I have an audience and I want to be able to like leverage that audience or at least, use it in a fun way. And that's, that was just a great excuse for me to go out to U.S. Bank Stadium and record a video in front of it. And, you know, that's all it was for. And it turned out to be a really cool and compelling video. And a lot of people watched it. But um, a lot of that stuff also comes out of just my general curiosity. Um, like, I, I love the, um, I, I love sort of the political uh, wagering that goes on behind stadiums. And, and that was part of that video, too, like talking about how the stadium's funded. Um and sort of like the, you know, the places that the money comes from and where it doesn't come from and who's paying for stadiums and stuff like that. So um, a video like the U.S. Bank Stadium video is kind of out of my own um, curiosity and interest. Like um, the opening line about it being the ugliest stadium in the world, I remember seeing an article that ranked all like the ugliest buildings in the world and I was looking for stadiums or sports-specific things yeah. and I saw U.S. Bank Stadium. And I kind of just put in the back of my head like, oh, that would be an interesting video. Like I have to find a way to kind of like, you know, make that an actual thing. And so that little seed kind of just gets planted and then grows. And it's not enough to make a video about how the U.S. Bank Stadium is ugly because it's really not. So then I tied in, like, other other um, renderings of what the stadium was going to look like. Um, yeah. And then that kind of led me to 
down the path of like, oh, how is this stadium funded? And then there's like a whole nother rabbit hole I go down. So, you know, really it kind of starts at one thing and just wherever my brain goes, it goes. And that's, <laughs> and that's the benefit of making the content myself, right? Like nobody's expecting I make any kind of content. So whatever interests me, I, c- I can make content about it. And, and that's been um, really the fun part of it. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And I like you said, you know, you're really in control of your own self because your inspiration for videos is great. Um, you know, you're always in new content. I like it. And it's, it, very, it really does go deep into like each thing. I mean, each thing is different. It's new, but you explain it well. And I like learning about, you know, new areas of sports that I've never seen before. I'm from Boston, obviously, so I haven't really seen U.S. Bank Stadium a whole lot, but that gave me a lot of good yeah. insight. Um, and then, you know, obviously... I wonder how you've been able to manage and, you know, kind of grow such a great fan base on TikTok, but especially managing it on a platform that can be, you know, very critical at times. I know you mentioned you got a lot of you yeah. know, comments from that U.S. Bank Stadium video, but, you know, yeah. overall, how have you you felt, you know, when you're in control of your own self and, you know, a fan base like that? How have you been able to, you know, grow that and, you know, not only that, but really manage uh, your fan base? Cause I know you get, you know, a lot of comments in your videos, a lot of interaction. Yeah. So to your first question, um, growing it has just been doing the same thing that I've been doing for the last, I don't know, at this point, four or five months, every single day and trying to make these little small incremental improvements. Like the story of how I even stumbled upon like making TikToks like this in the first place was I knew I wanted to create TikToks as a way to like benefit my agency, Uncle Charlie, like I knew if I were able to get some sort of audience on TikTok, that would help attract potential customers or they'd see my face and they're like, oh, yeah. that's a guy that knows what he's talking about in the in the world of sports business. And maybe that would lead to a conversation to work together. So <clears throat> that was a general idea. But when I started, I had no idea what kind of stuff I wanted to make. And so I tested a bunch of different content and I was looking for two things. I was looking for stuff that performed well, obviously, but also what felt natural and good to me and, and stuff that I knew I could create like six months from now or a year from now. Cause I, I didn't want to just do it, burn myself out in a month and then never create again. I wanted to make sure I was able to be consistent with it. So yeah. I tried a whole bunch of things, right? Like I tried like voiceover videos or like day in the lives or like time lapses of me working on stuff. Like I, I tried all this sort of stuff and none of it really like felt right. Like it all felt clunky and it was like getting in my way. And I was just, I didn't like doing it. And then one day I'm like, okay, what if I just sat down in front of the camera with my microphone that I have right here. And I just like talked about, I remember that I did in that regard was, uh, what three things I would do if I started a, a or if I bought a sports franchise. Yeah. Um, and I talked about like the business related things that I would do. So I, you know, I talked about like hiring content creators and encouraging my athletes to be, um, content creators themselves. And, I talked about like the business side of it and I remember all the comments were like, Oh, I thought you were talking about like we were going to draft or, or something like that. Um, and somebody left a comment on that one and talked about like, you know, how, what I thought about Juju Smith Schuster. Cause he was obviously like a, you know, he, he at the time was popular for TikToking on yeah. <laughs> logos and people didn't really like it and yeah. didn't know how it fit with his career as a, as a football player. And so I responded to that comment and, that, and those two videos like did okay. Like they got a couple thousand views, which is way more than I was getting before. And then I made another video about the Savannah Bananas and talking about like them leaving the summer collegiate league that they were in and up, you know what that meant for them. And that one like blew up. It got like seven hundred thousand views or something like that. I was like, whoa, I think this might be my format. Yeah. And I liked it because I just had to sit down and like talk in front of the camera. Like I didn't have to go anywhere. It was easy enough to do. I liked writing about the stuff. I liked talking about it. I'm like, this is the format. 
And so then just every video from there, I just, you could see, like I, I made, I'd make little Twitter editing tweaks, like, you know, I'd add captions and I'd add color to my captions and I'd add B-roll and like, yeah. then I was cutting it and it was like, you know, like, then the cuts were moving and like all of a sudden it like worked up to the point of where it is now. So, you know, the way I'm able to do it is just, that was a format that worked for me and I could see myself doing this, this same type of content, like five years from now, like that's how much I like doing it. Um, I've gotten to the point where I've hired an editor. So, you know, the editing was not a part I liked so much. I'm yeah. like, okay, if I want to keep doing this, I got to get help with there. Um, and I just got to focus on the parts I like. And, and so that's what I, that's what I've done. And I totally forgot the second part of your question. Uh, yeah, it was just kind of how you manage it, but you can, you kind of answer that. I like, I like how yeah. you mentioned the Juju Smith, Schuster comment and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's about like, it's about being able to do this stuff consistently. It's yeah. like, if you can't see yourself doing it, not, not just from like a subject matter perspective, like that can always change, but from, uh, actually getting in front of the camera and recording, like if, if you don't think you can do that process consistently for a year or for six months, like you shouldn't do it. And for me, that means once a day. For some people, that might be once a week. But you got to be honest with yourself and, like, you cannot burn yourself out. Because I've seen plenty of people, like, I'm going to make a vlog every single day. And yeah. after five days, they're like, whoa, this this stuff is kind of hard. And they just stop doing it. And that's yeah. no good. You know what I mean? You yeah. get a chance to get better. No, definitely. That's a, that's a great lesson to everyone out there. You know, how you manage it, how you grow. I think it's just awesome. Uh, very well put. And then... Another question I have is, you know, because you've done so much work. I know you mentioned when you attended the University of Minnesota, you worked uh, in, in an internship with the athletic programs there. And, you know, obviously being an entrepreneur now, I just wonder, you know, what are kind of your most valuable lessons uh, that you've taken away throughout your experiences? You know, you've worked in a very diverse field, um, you know, everywhere along the way. And then now being an entrepreneur, what are some of the most valuable lessons you've taken away? You know, I think my favorite is um, taking advantage of opportunities when you're young. And I I don't even mean, like, I think there's a part of that, for me at least, that was, okay, when I graduated school, I had a bunch of freelance clients built up already, and I just, I took advantage of that because I already had the the client base built up. And and that's one example, like, you know, taking advantage of opportunities as they come to you. But I think one thing I'm glad I realized very early on is, like, the expectation I'll whisper because I don't want the adults to hear. Like the expectation yeah. that kids have like this big successful career and are making millions of dollars in their twenties, like doesn't really exist. And if that does exist, if your parents are expecting you're making like six figures in your twenties, like they're not being very good parents at that yeah. moment. So you should understand that it's completely okay to fail. Um, it should be encouraged that you fail, like in your you know in your late teens, in your twenties. Like up until the point where maybe you're deciding to get married and have kids and have like some of those obligations where you have to have a little bit more consistency up until that point, I think you should try to take as many risks and big swings as possible and try to fail as many times as possible because at least historically and recently the job market has been pretty good. So, you know, speaking to myself as an entrepreneur, like if this marketing agency falls apart tomorrow, which fortunately it does not look like it will do that. I can just go get a job, you know, at like an, at a marketing agency or at like some company doing social media marketing for them. And you know what, at the end of the day, I was, I'm right where I would have been three years ago had I just done that right out of school. So it's like, just kind of see what the inevitable path is. And for me, the inevitable path was just working some corporate marketing job, which didn't really excite me. And it takes some risks in the, in the intermediary and understand that there's usually a, a pretty good fallback plan um, for you if it, it doesn't work out. And, and of course I, I say that like very generally, like everybody yeah. has a very different circumstance, but 
I think for a lot of people listening, there's this pressure of like, ooh, I got to do something that like has a cool sounding job title or my friends are going to be making $60,000 a year right out of school and I kind of want to make that amount of money or like maybe more. And it's like, those are all constructs that we've put on ourselves and pressures that we put on ourselves. So you got to take a step back and realize like, you're good, and especially in America. Like you got health insurance with your parents until you're 26. So, yeah, you know, try to figure it all out before then. But you know, make sure you're put, you're setting yourself up to do these things if you want to do that, because there's not a better time to do them than when it's okay to fail and nobody has any expectations for you. No, yeah, I like that taking up taking advantage of opportunity, everyone. It's great to know, and great to know for a, I know a lot of the audience would love to you know be in your shoes, do what you do someday. Especially myself. I mean, it all sounds so awesome. And my last quick question here, you're a Packers fan, right? Yeah. So uh, Aaron Rodgers, I know, is a hot topic. And, I mean, I'm sure you get this a lot. But thoughts on him this offseason? Does he go? Does he stay? Does he get traded? What what happens with him because he's so unpredictable? So this is what obsessed me about the Aaron Rodgers thing. And I, I want to say this is kind of out of my purview. I appreciate you asking me. I'm a huge Packers fan, but – People don't usually come to me for my sports takes. Yeah. Uh, but in, in, in any way, you know, I think the Packers MO forever has been this sort of like move on a little too early than a little too late. It's kind of like that whole your Boston guy, like the whole Bill Belichick idea yeah. where you'd, you'd rather be a year too early than a year too late. And I, and I don't think it was any more true than two years ago with the Packers where, yes, Aaron Rodgers had an MVP season in 2020, I believe the year was. And yeah, maybe it would have looked a little ridiculous for the Packers if they would have gotten rid of him after he had an MVP season. But he then proceeded to follow it up with kind of a stinker of a season, yeah. right? And then they would have looked good, right? And so, like, that was the prime time, in my opinion, two years ago before they signed up this extension for them to get rid of him, say, you know what, maybe he's still going to be good for another team, but, you know, we can, we can cut our losses and, and move on. And we've drafted somebody and we have a plan in place. Frustratingly, it seems like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are both doing this sort of dosy do where neither one of them really want to say it, but they know at this point they should probably just move on from each other because it's kind of a, a toxic relationship. But you're at this point in the relationship where nobody wants it to be their fault and nobody wants to be the one to move on from one another. And so they're both playing this game where it's like, will they, won't they, you know, who's going to say it first? But if you got them on truth serum, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, they both admit like, yeah, I, I think it's best if we move on. So yeah. it's annoying to me. I, I You know, my preference would be that he we trade him and get something for him because, like, that's another good position we're in. Like, at least now that we've decided to sign him for two more years and we did get an MVP season out of him and then we got, you know, some, some mediocre play out of him, that now at least we have the chance to get some picks for him, which is yeah. good better than we could have done two years ago. And um, I think they should take advantage of that and, and go with the plan because it is uh, very reminiscent. I think we're both a little young for this, but... I remember at the tail end of Brett Favre's career, it was the same thing. Like, no, you yeah. know, will he, will he, won't he stay? And they, you know, they, the Packers made the decision and they, the next year they were like six and 10 and they weren't very good, but they saw the little glimmers in practice and they're like, okay, we have Aaron Rodgers, our guy at the time. And I think it's going to be the same thing next year where I hope we get rid of him. Jordan Love comes in, maybe it's a little rocky. We're a 500 team. And then we lock in and say, all right, we got our guy. And, and move forward. And, and that's what they should do. But they didn't stick to the plan, which was really frustrating. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I mean, <laughs> that's got to be frustrating as a Packers fan. And I know I'm a Patriots fan. Uh, there's been a lot of questions. It's been a frustrating year for us both. More so, I guess, with Aaron Rodgers, just because of his unpredictability. He was sitting on a darkness retreat, all that. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out for sure. It will be. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, thank you, Tyler, so much for coming on today. Uh, guys, I will link all of his socials below. Um, it was great to have you on. Any last thoughts here before we get going? No, Chris. I, uh, you know, I hope come football season, I got plenty more TikToks to make, and Aaron Rodgers is no longer a Green Bay Packer. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love. Yeah, I know. I'd love that another one discuss more because I know we got a lot uh, on the way. But thank you once again, Tyler, for coming. And uh, that about wraps up our episode, everyone. So I will see you next time. Peace.